I want to invite you to turn first to the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're going to get to that story in John that, that Pastor Pete just shared about in a few minutes. But we're going to start in Luke 24, right where we finished last week on Easter Sunday. We're going to continue to think about coming to the table, about eating and drinking with Jesus. And this morning we're going to think about resurrection eating. One of the, the strangest, I think, innovations of modern life is that aisle in the grocery store, that section in one aisle, that has all of these different kinds of what they call meal replacement choices. There are things in bottles, there are things in powders, there are things in canisters that are designed to, to give you the vitamins, the protein, the calories that you need in your everyday diet, but in a, a quick and convenient fashion. And now I, I understand that in some cases these, these kinds of things can be medically necessary for, for a particular diet or to help supplement a, diet, a dietary you know, deficiency of some kind. But there is a, a growing trend that is popularizing these meal replacements for the, the broader or the general public, largely as a matter of convenience, of efficiency, right? They save time, they save energy, they keep us from having to go through all the work and the mess of eating real food. But this move towards convenience is not just limited to the things we're eating, it's also extending into the way we eat as well. Most studies in the United States suggest that about half of all meals eaten by adults are eaten alone. Right? About half of the meals we eat, we eat by ourselves. Whether that's you know, at our breakfast table or at the office. I'm, I'm guilty of this. Often I wake up early in the morning and eat my breakfast by myself. Or at, at the office here at church, I'm sitting and typing an email and chewing my lunch at the same time. Right? It's just it's part of how we live, how we eat. But whether it's in these vitamin shakes or whether it's in fast food drive-throughs or microwavable meals, right, there's, there's a, a greater way in which we're starting to see eating as, as a problem that needs solving or a box that needs checking rather than a, a deeply significant part of what it means to be human, to be created. So I put to you the question this morning as we look at these passages in Luke and John's Gospel. What if eating is actually designed to be part of our holiness? What if, if eating is actually part of how God's made us, at least in part, to experience worship and dependence and connection with the one who made us. I think we, we can see some of our struggle with this even in the way we worship in this space as a church, right? Since probably who knows how many thousand or, or hundreds of years ago, the Lord's table has moved largely away from being a meal with substantial food and drink and connection around a table to a meal that fit into 
to five or ten minutes in a, in a sanctuary with crackers and juice. Right? We, don't, we don't have time to dirty pots and pans, much less fit into finding ways to, to eat together during the week and, and to share an entire meal with each other. But if we see eating as expendable, as something that's sort of largely unnecessary or insignificant or non-spiritual, I think we, we lose part of what the gospel testifies to. This morning, I, I want to look at two short sections, one in Luke's gospel, one in the gospel of John. And they record for us something that I think is remarkable, something that, that pushes back against these sort of tendencies we see in in our modern lives and habits. And there are two stories that tell us about resurrection eating. They tell us that the life we share together in, in the kingdom of God, both now, but also in the age to come, when heaven invades earth, they suggest that in that reality there's no need for meal replacements or, or to rush through these things but rather that real food, good food, shared food, has a place of enduring significance in God's design. So let me pray for us as we look at Luke 24. Lord, I give you thanks that the life that the scriptures testify to comes to us in tangible, physical forms. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you took the word, the testimony, the truth of who God is and made it flesh for us to see and behold, to interact with in all of your humanity. And Lord, you even gave yourself, you said, for us to feed on take your body, your blood, into ourselves so that we might be changed and transformed. Lord, would we have the power to share our lives with you in every respect. And I pray now that as we look into your word, may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. May they become tangible. May they become a lived reality in our lives together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this is Luke 24. I'm going to pick up in verse 33. And this comes at the end of last week's text where we, we looked at, at the story of two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus on Easter morning. And at the beginning of that walk, they were, they were ready to leave their faith behind. They were discouraged. They were downcast. They felt like their, their discipleship had come to an end until Jesus met with them on that road out of Jerusalem. And along the way, we said Jesus opened the scriptures to them. He called them back to the testimony of scripture in a fresh way. And that began to give them eyes to see who God's Messiah was intended to be. That he would suffer, that he would be rejected, but then he would move into his place of glory. 
and they began to, to see in a new way. And then that afternoon, at the end of that walk, they sit down around a table with Jesus. Again, not knowing who he was yet. And as Jesus broke the bread that afternoon, it says their eyes were opened to a resurrected Jesus. So we're picking up there in verse 33. It says, after that, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then, they told, then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they, had saw, they, they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. There in, in the upper room, Luke records this account, I think, to, to help us see that the resurrection is a physical thing. It's a flesh and blood reality. That's important for us as believers to understand. And he says that, that these, these two guys that were on the way to Emmaus, they, they see Jesus in the breaking of the bread, and they, they get up from the meal, and they run basically a 10K race back to Jerusalem that night. And they reach the, the upper room, or this, this sort of secure location the disciples have been hiding in, where by now there's quite a large gathering there, and the stories of resurrection have begun to multiply. By the time they get there with news of this stranger they met on the road, they now have the story of, of Jesus appearing to Peter. Peter has seen Jesus as well. We know from the other Gospels that Mary has seen Jesus at the tomb and, and possibly others on that same day. And so they're, I think, comparing stories, trying to figure out what this means. What do these appearances mean? Where is Jesus? How do we interact with him? What happens next? What kind of Jesus can take on hidden personas and, and show up one minute and be gone the next? Verse 36 says, as they were talking about this, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stands among them in the room. And he says, peace be with you. But they're not feeling peace in that moment. It says the, the room was full of, of fear and amazement. And they're, they're having trouble believing that this Jesus they'd seen on the road or seen at the tomb or seen in the, the room there at that moment is the same Jesus they had dined with three days before. They saw Jesus' body crucified. They saw him dead and laid in a tomb. Could this possibly be that same Jesus 
Maybe this is ghost Jesus. Maybe Jesus has come back as a spirit to speak with them. And they're, they're thinking these things and wondering this in the upper room. But in verse 38, Luke tells us that Jesus is troubled by that conclusion. He wants to make sure that we get a proper picture of what resurrection actually entails, what it really means. And so in verses 39 and 40, he engages in what I like to think of as a a kind of show and tell there with the disciples. He shows off his resurrection body as flesh and bone. And he tells them to come see for themselves. Come touch. A scholar, David Garland, puts it, Jesus wants them to see that his resurrected body and his crucified body are one and the same. It's important for them to to make the connection that this is the same person. There's continuity. What Jesus did in his body to give us life is now the same body that God has raised, raised into glory. Jesus says, see my hands and my feet, which probably are designed to to point to the wounds Jesus has, has suffered for us that are still present there in his resurrected state. But we're told in verse 41 that they remain sort of paralyzed with amazement. They're still not able to bring themselves to get that that this is really Jesus, that he is really flesh and blood. And so Jesus, I think, brings things down to earth one more level. Look at verse 41. It says, And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. I love that that picture, at least that I get in my mind. You have these disciples. They are wide-eyed. They're slack-jawed in amazement. And Jesus then says the most profound thing. He says, where's the fridge? (laughs) Right? Do you have anything to eat? Right? What an incredibly normal, what an incredibly human, what an incredibly embodied thing for Jesus to do. All right, you won't touch me, you won't come and see. Give me some fish. I'll prove it to you. And so when the disciples don't know how to relate to a resurrected Jesus, he simply tells them he's hungry. And somebody finally gathers up the courage to grab a piece of fish off the dinner table. And Jesus commences with show and tell part two. It says he takes the fish, he eats it in their presence, and the, the fish doesn't sort of spill through his phantom body onto the floor. Right? It it goes into him. He ingests it. We discover that the resurrected Jesus still likes to eat and drink with sinners. He doesn't do meal replacements. He doesn't do powders. Right? He wants flame-broiled trout for dinner that night. And I think Jesus eats here not just to prove that he's not a phantom, that he's not a ghost. But I think in the act of eating, Jesus is endorsing that bodies 
matter, that appetites matter, that those things are God-given and created on purpose. Right? The scriptures tell us that Adam and Eve ate in the garden before the fall. The priests eat with God in his presence at the temple. Jesus comes eating and drinking with sinners. And now we see in this passage that eating will be part of our resurrection reality too. It doesn't go away. What we do in our bodies and with our bodies matters now and it matters into kingdom come. What you eat at lunch today, when you drink a cup of tea this afternoon, Do you realize that those are gifts that God has eternally designed to connect you with his goodness? To remind you that you're dependent on him as as your your creator. And he loves you. He loves to supply us with, with gifts that are tangible reminders of how creative and incredible a God he is. And God has given us bodies and stomachs on purpose because he loves us. This was... uh, Especially evident to me this past weekend. On Thursday, Katie and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. And we went to to Boston for two days. And in addition just to getting some time away, we had incredible food. In the the two days we were there, we had uh, Sichuan uh, Chinese food, all this hot and spicy food. We had dinner at an Afghani restaurant that night. We had uh, sushi at a jazz club on Friday night. We had um, hummus and falafel at an Israeli-Palestinian cafe. And there was just such diversity and flavor and joy in, in the act of both eating the food, that physical act of eating, but also in sharing that act together with each other. Right? It was a point of connection as husband and wife right, around the table. And it was it was a, a reminder. It really felt like an act of worship, just, just tasting God's goodness in all these different ways and remembering that, that God was present with us in those things. So again, I think the Gospels tell us that, that food and drink are meant to point us to who God is and his presence with us, his provision for us. I want to look just very briefly here at what happens in John 21. Another example of this resurrection eating. And as Pete has already uh, pointed out, this happens a few weeks after the, the account we've just read in Luke. This is later, after the resurrection, the disciples have gone back to the Sea of Galilee. John 21.4 says, Early one morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Again, he's... Not, not able to be perceived by them immediately. Verse 5, he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him 
for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. I like this, this story because it's, it's an everyday life story. The disciples have gone back to their old routine. They're in Galilee. They're, they're trying to figure out life for themselves again after the resurrection. And they've been fishing all night and they're not having much luck. But early that morning, a, a familiar scene unfolds for them. Right? There's somebody standing on the shore 100 yards off and he's giving them fishing advice. <laughs> and they're probably rolling their eyes thinking, who's this guy? But this guy says, throw your nets out on the right side. And soon their catch is too big to haul in. This has happened before. This, this has history for them. And while the other disciples are busy trying to figure out how to keep the boat from sinking, we're told that that John, the disciple Jesus loved, knows immediately. And he turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. And Peter doesn't even wait. He just dives into the water. And he goes flailing his way toward shore. I'm sure he's wondering, what is Jesus doing back here in Galilee, walking the shore at dawn? What's brought him here in verse 9, we see what's brought Jesus to Galilee. It says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. That's a miracle in and of itself. Usually he had to separate the big ones from the little ones. Full of large fish, 153 of them. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I think as Peter is... Dripping dry there on the shore. It only takes him a moment to discover why Jesus has come. Right? Peter sees the fire on the seashore. He sees that the fish that have been laid on to cook over it. He even sees a bit of pita bread set there beside. And he knows that Jesus has come there to the Galilee to say, Come. Have breakfast with me. It's time to eat. And of course, later in this passage, which we won't get to today, there's, there's some important conversation that needs to happen around that meal with Peter as part of his restoration. But Jesus has come because he desires to eat with Peter and his friends. I quoted a, a book by Tim Chester last week where he suggests that everything else that's part of the Christian life, from creation to redemption to mission, ultimately sort of comes 
to or, or points to or is for this kind of moment. That we might eat together in the presence of God, he says. That we might know communion with God and with each other. And so by extension then, one of the most embodied ways that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody else is to to join them over a meal. And around that meal, to get to know them, to see who God has made them to be, and also to speak the truth of who Jesus is. What Jesus has done, of Jesus' great love for that person. Meals have this power change our relationships. I'm encouraged that many of your table groups are continuing to meet. I know um, talking to some of your hosts, there are lots of meals happening uh, next Sunday and, and throughout the month of May. One question that I'd encourage you, maybe the next time you meet with that group, to, to consider talking about around the table is to think about a time where you've shared a meal with someone or a group of people, and that meal has uh, had, had the effect of changing your relationship in some way. Something happened, something changed over the course of, of a meal um, that, that had an enduring impact on your relationship. In his resurrected state, here in verse 4, sorry, in, in his resurrected state here in verse 12, somehow Jesus' appearance is still disguised, right? It says that he's sitting there. He's even there eating with them. And there's a sense that, that from the beginning of this story, there's, there's not a visual or direct visual recognition or apprehension of Jesus. He looks different in some way in this resurrected state. But it says, with their nets full of fish, with a hot breakfast set before them on the shore, it's enough to open their eyes. It says, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They knew this is what Jesus does. Only the Lord could do this. I find it fascinating that what the disciples couldn't see with their eyes, they knew by sitting and eating with the resurrected Jesus. We too are, are sinners who have been invited to eat and drink at the table God has prepared so that we might come to know this is Jesus. We might be restored and redeemed by him. We might experience his great love for us as a people. And we might be forever changed. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who feast on every good gift that comes from the Father of lights. We want to feast on the truth of your word proclaimed to us. You have given your life for us. You have been raised from death for us. We might be seated at the right hand with you in the heavenly realms. We want to feed on the goodness of of belonging to a people and a church and a body who eats together and shares life together and comes to know and see you around tables together. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we will eat and drink 
in a heavenly kingdom around the table you have prepared. Lord, we pray all these things in your name.